You know, Rob, I generally, you know, I have a big disdain for Netflix original movies. Uh, nine, maybe 99 out of 100, nine out of 10 usually end up being incredibly disappointing and bad. Unlike their show, I'm still flabbergasted how good they can make series and they're so bad at their original movies. At any rate, one of the upcoming original films that they have coming to Netflix that has had my attention for a little bit here is the new Idris Elba, Jonathan Majors, Lakeith Stanfield uh, movie, The Harder They Fall. Uh, one of the reasons, because the cast is incredible. Uh, on top of, by the way, Zazie Beetz is in there too, and a couple of others. The cast is incredible, but also it's a Western. And I can be a little bit of a sucker for Westerns, particularly modern Westerns, because we don't get a whole ton of those. We don't get a whole ton of those. Anyway, a brand new trailer for it has just dropped. And I got to tell you, I think the trailer is spectacular. I love this trailer. Just number one, the fact that they, you know, they it starts off with a train heist. You know, they're on the train. There's this big safe. They open it, but it's not treasure inside. No, no, no. It's Idris <laughs> Elba inside. Kind of reminds me a little bit of that X-Men movie when they open up the thing and Juggernaut comes out. Uh, uh, played by, uh, what was what was that soccer player's name who played him? Vinny. Oh, I'm, Vinny, oh yeah, Vinny Jones. Vinny Jones. Thank you. It came out. So remind me a little bit of that. And then you got Jonathan Majors on the hunt forum. I love that one line. Where's your boss? You clearly don't know me. I love <laughs> that line. Like everything about this trailer was to me just awesome. It, it did. You know, Rob, we always talk about the fact that my, my definition of a good trailer is a trailer. A trailer's job is to take your excitement level no matter if it's really low or really high, and just bump it up a couple of notches. And I'll tell you what, this trailer got me amped, and I cannot wait to see it. But, Rob, I got to tell you something else. Uh-oh. I have the complete opposite reaction to this um, that I did with the other upcoming Netflix original film, Red Notice, where oh, I thought the trailer was quite bad. I thought the Red Notice trailer was quite bad. But... I have a lot of hope that the movie's going to be quite good because, you know, it's got Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I mean, it's got a, a great cast, kind of. So I kind of have some belief in the movie. This, I have no belief that this movie's going to be any good. I think the trailer is awesome, but it's a Netflix movie. It's a first-time director. There's just a lot of things stacked against it. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that this movie turns out to be even half as good as this spectacular trailer. But I'm going to be honest with you, because it's Netflix and because it's a first-time director, I do have some doubts. Anyway, Rob, you had a chance to check out this trailer for The Harder They Fall. What did you think of it? Well, first of all, I love that it it's kind of it references The Harder They Come, the Jamaican film that came out with that came out in 1972 that starred Jimmy Cliff that kind of brought reggae to the world. Hmm. It was a Jamaican crime movie that this is definitely it's kind of referencing that in the title. So it's it's already establishing itself as like, okay, this is from a long tradition of, of of these kinds of movies. I love this trailer. I mean, you know, the that that genre of film, I don't know if you can call it black exploitation anymore. I'm sure someone's gonna come along and say that's not proper, but that's the genre. That's how we learned about it in film school. I love those movies when I was a kid. Dolomite, Superfly, Slaughter. Uh, Black Caesar. I loved those movies. And then I loved Mario Van Peebles' movie Posse. His I remember that one, yeah. I loved, and I watched this and I'm like, come on. 
what what's not to love about this trailer and uh, even though it's a first time director this movie looks beautifully directed and shot and the performances i mean it just looks so much fun john i uh i i i can't wait for this and i know i know it's a netflix movie but it just looks so cool and uh, I I can't wait for it. And I love the cast, Regina King too. Yeah, the the great Regina King. I mean, uh, that woman way, yeah. is unstoppable. We're we're I, I mean, the last couple of years she's had, I, and she's been around for so long. People know. I mean, she was she was uh, she was Rod Tidwell's wife and Jerry Maguire. That was what twenty five years ago or something. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it's I mean, amazing when you see people like Regina Hall who. You'd think that, you know, for a, an actress, a beautiful actress, the height Regina, of their- Regina King. Regina King, sorry. Regina Hall, somebody completely different. You, you'd think that, you know, with a lot of the, the young, pretty actresses, that they're going to have the height of their power in their mid-20s, maybe early 30s. Regina King has been in the best period of her career only in the last couple of years. And she I doesn't mean, like age. She's no, unbelievably and she doesn't beautiful. Age, and she's directing now and she's producing and her performance. I mean, like how good was she? I loved her in Watchmen. I, I loved great. her in that. Then she's, I mean, it's just amazing what she's doing. But again, you got like Zazie Beetz in there. Who's really hot right now. Lakeith Stanfield, who I am loving more. Of course, most of us just kind of came to know him in Atlanta, but everything he does, like he can do Atlanta, then he can go over, like yeah. he's in like a, a get out and then he can go over and be in knives out. And then he can be, I mean, He's, he's just showing himself to be a true chameleon. Obviously, Jonathan Majors, he's Kang right now. He was fantastic uh, in the HBO series that they unfortunately uh, just canceled with Lovecraft. Uh, and obviously, Idris Elba leading the way. There's so much going for this film that I really hope I'm wrong when I say I don't expect this to be yeah. great. I hope it is. And the trailer gives us a lot of hope. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. Have you had a chance to see the trailer for The Harder They Fall, this new one that just came out? I think the trailer's fantastic. What do you guys think about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Uh, and by the way, our friends Brian Sufield uh, sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat, as does our friend Donald Thomas also sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate that. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic, just go anytime 24-7 to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, Rob, what is mm. main topic number one? Well, this comes from KXIF. Maybe it's a radio station. Hi, John and Rob. Dune, in its second weekend, grossed $26.3 million with an overall drop of just 32% and is yet to open in several key markets. Do you think Dune will break even? If this trend continues and uh, do these early numbers justify the sequel and waiting? Well, John, this hasn't opened in a lot of territories yet. Yeah. And I think these numbers are really encouraging. I think the strategy here was obviously the future of Dune and everyone wants there to be a future of Dune depends on this movie earning out, breaking even. And obviously with its day and date HBO Max launch, in addition to its theatrical launch here, 
that's been really iffy. So I think opening it a month in advance was a really smart thing to do in foreign territories because you get that box office up and the pressure is not as much on the domestic box office. So I'm stoked, John. This is one of my most, if not my most eagerly awaited movie of the year. I can't wait to see it. And uh, this, this, I mean, this is really encouraging. I'm really excited. Variety said, moviegoers, at least at the international box office, have kept the ticket sales flowing. I see what they did there. Ah, For the Dune. ticket sales must flow. <laughs> well, yeah, the big budget reimagining of Frank Herbert's landmark sci-fi novel. The movie, directed by Denis Villeneuve, brought in $26.3 million from 32 overseas markets in its second weekend of release. It has generated $76.5 million to date, a solid tally given that many parts of the international box office have been slow to recover from COVID-19. Um, what do you think, John? Is this good? Well, I mean, look, when, when you take a look at what these numbers represent, we often talk about how Opening weekend is great. It's supremely important. The opening weekend is supremely important. Almost as important, though, is the legs. And what kind of second weekend drop do you get? You know, we saw some tragic drops, like um, Suicide Squad took like a 70% drop. We, of course, saw Black Widow take a 60-plus percent drop. And then Shang-Chi had an incredibly uh, great second weekend, only taking a 52% drop. When you look at the international markets, they are averaging to 33% drop from week one to week two. Don't let the significance of that slip by, you guys. A 30-something percent drop from week one to week two. Now, granted, the international markets behave a little bit differently than North American markets, but a 30-something percent drop is ridiculously good. That is telling us that number one, people are going back to watch it. It's telling us that this movie has the real potential to have legs. And it's telling us that the word of mouth is spreading and new people are coming even on the second weekend. To have a 30-something percent drop, Rob, is crazy. I mean, Free Guy had like a 30-something percent drop. We haven't seen a major motion picture have a, that small of a drop in ages. Right. I mean, not without expanding out to like double the amount of theaters or something, which was not the case here. So it's really encouraging. However... As encouraging as that might be, there is a very, very harsh reality and rude awakening awaiting Dune. And Rob, you alluded to it. It's the fact that it gets to play in these international markets without it being on HBO anywhere. It's only available in theaters. It is, as of right now, this moment, it is a theatrical exclusive film. When this thing opens in North America, Rob, you mentioned that its outcome is iffy. I'll I'll say that's optimistic. I say saying that it's iffy is optimistic because it's a buzzsaw. It is a buzzsaw. The HBO Max releasing day and date has proved to be a murderous slaughtering buzzsaw for every single one of the Warner Brothers movies they've tried to put out this year. Now, I'm not saying it's the only reason that a lot of their films haven't succeeded, but it's been a very large contributing factor. And the fact, Rob, that all this, it only makes me lament what Warner Brothers did even more and why I'm so happy so many of those Warner Brothers executives are going to lose their jobs once uh, once Discovery takes over. Um, but the success it's having overseas is only making me lament even more the fact that it's running into a very, very challenging situation once it does open in North America on October 22nd. And that is the fact that it's just going to be playing on HBO. And it's going to kill the box office for this thing. It's going to kill whatever potential it had. Now, it's going to make some money. 
It's going to make some money, but it is not going to come anywhere near its potential that it had because of it. So it's extremely, Rob, on the one hand, it's extremely encouraging to see what's happening with this movie overseas. It's telling us that the audiences are digging it. They're liking it. They're getting out to it. Yay! And yet Warner Brothers is still refusing because these guys know their jobs are not long for this world. A lot of them are going to be losing their jobs in a few months. They're keeping this thing on HBO, and it's it's. Uh, I just can't see it doing extremely well. I just I just don't think it's going to do all that well. I'm guessing, and it's only a guess, and I reserve the right to change my guess. I'm guessing, at best, this is going to get a forty million dollar opening. I'm going to guess, and I, I think they need to be happy if they get a forty million dollar opening right now. Rob, would you take over or under my guess of forty? I'm going to go higher. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. How much higher, though? How much higher? $65 million. Really? So you're going to go like 50%, more than 50% more than me. It's 65. 65. 65, yeah, because wow. I think there's so much, I mean, there's so much buildup to this. If it doesn't make that kind of money, the movie's really in trouble. Yeah, and, and I think it is. It is still my most number one participated movie of the year, but I don't know, man. If Shang-Chi made 75 without a day and date release on streaming, I hope you're right. 65 seems ambitious, but I hope your ambitious guess is right. Uh, by the way, guys, let us know what you think about this. How do you think Dune is going to do once it opens up in North America? What do you think about the numbers it's posing overseas? These are really impressive numbers. But again, those numbers aren't having to deal with HBO like they will once they come over here. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts and by the way our friend rm sends in a super chat badge in the live chat thank you rm appreciate that man okay with that down let's move on to main topic number two shall we and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by nigel govern who writes hello john and rob a little bit ago you guys were talking about a spin-off of the boys being in development. Today they announced that it's officially moving ahead and that Amazon has ordered it direct to series. What do you guys think of that and do you think that people are wanting more of the boys world even with the main show still going? Thanks. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in man. And yeah, listen, you guys know, I think one of the absolute best things on television right now is the boys. I I mean, I was looking forward to it because I'm familiar with the graphic novel of it. So I was looking forward to it. I really did not think it could be as good as it was. And Rob, I think you mentioned you agree with me. I actually think the the TV version of it is better than the comic. I actually think it's better than the comic. So yeah, I, I mean, so I've been very, very pleasantly surprised by it. It goes in a lot of different directions and it looks great. Now, of course, like you were saying in the email, they were, we did talk a number of months ago about the fact that they were developing a spinoff show from it uh, where they would be in college. It would not these characters, but there's a specific Vought Industries, the company that runs all the supers. They specifically have a college for young up and coming supers. And it was going to be a no, new show based on that. But we never really heard anything about it for a while until now it's official. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Set at America's only college exclusively for young adult superheroes and run by Vought International, the <laughs> untitled series is described as an irreverent R-rated show that explores the lives of hormonal competitive soups as they put their physical, sexual, and moral boundaries to the test. 
competing for the best contracts in the best cities. Michelle uh, Fazekas and Tara Butters will take over as showrunners. Now they did just uh, they did just do a redux of who's going to be showrunning this thing, and they put these new two showrunners in there. Now, what is significant about it though is that these two showrunners were the same people who did the showrunning for Agent Carter. And I really liked Agent Carter. I, I like that show a lot. But again, listen to how they describe that. Describe this. An irreverent, R-rated show that explores the hormonal competitive soups as they explore their physical, sexual, and amoral boundaries to the test. And all I can say is, oh, glee and joy. <laughs> this sounds like my kind of show. Now, does that sound a little juvenile of me? Maybe it does. No. No. <laughs> Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But I'm telling you, I love it. Because listen, I don't know about the rest of y'all in your college years, but that pretty much express that pretty much describes life in your college years. Because you're thinking about three things when you're in college. You're thinking about three things, and I'm not giving these in order. Um, how you're gonna pass your next exam, uh, how you're gonna get laid next, and how you're gonna get your laundry clean because you're broke. And then those are the three main things that as a college student, you're always worried about. And it kind of sounds like they're going to focus on this new look, Rob. All I will say is this. If it wasn't for the main series and I see how well they handle this gritty, edgy, filthy stuff, and they were able to do it in a really entertaining way that often packs a lot of deeper meaning and pathos in it then if I just heard this description apart from the fact that it's a boy spinoff, I might think, ah, this sounds like something that is just like some desperate, oh, look, guys, boobies. Oh, watch our show. But because it's coming out of, you know, Kripke and and that thing and it's connected to the boys, I have belief that this is actually probably going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, Rob, you're hearing this stuff about this spinoff. What are you thinking about the description? Well, I grew up a Brett, a Brett Easton Ellis fan. You know, I read all of his novels and, and this sounds like I loved his novel, The Rules of Attraction that Roger Avery turned into a film. It sounds like a Brett Easton Ellis novel, but with superheroes. So I'm there for this man in a big way. Bring it on. What do you think about the fact that, you know, they, the viewer asked the question, is the audience wanting more The Boys universe, considering that the main show is still going? Like, are they running a risk of oversaturating this, this The Boys, you know, uh, niche? Or do you think this is something the audience is really ready to embrace? Oh, come on. The audience is going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't going to love it? All right. So you don't think there's any danger of it being, uh, of being oversaturated for The Boys stuff? No. No, not not especially look with all the teen dramas. If this is a superhero movie that has amoral superhero teens in college doing teen things. Come on, man. This is the show we've all been waiting for. (laughs) All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about the upcoming The Boys spinoff, the way it's described? Are you wanting more of The Boys? Does this sound like something that could engage you? I got to tell you, we haven't seen a trailer or anything, obviously, but it sounds good to me. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And uh, by the way, our friends B. Gill Studios and BK Dan both send in Super Chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? 
Rob, what is our third main topic today? Well, our third main topic is, hi, John. Actually, this comes from David Banks. Hi, John. Even though he wasn't my favorite character in Rogue One, I've been very interested in seeing the Andor spinoff and seeing the darker side of the Rebellion. Did you see that Diego Luna recently gave to Deadline where he confirms that filming has officially wrapped? What are your thoughts on this? Thanks. Well, John, you know, I got to say the Andor series, we know that uh, they were rewriting a lot of the scripts a while ago. And it's kind of been quietly under the radar as everyone's talked about Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett or Obi-Wan. But I, I actually think I was really looking forward to this. I mean, a spy show. You know, an espionage show set in the Star Wars universe. I am so there for this. And, of course, I think Rogue One has only grown in everyone's estimation over the years yeah. since it, it came out. And Deadline has this to say. A smile widens on Diego Luna's face when asked about what's ahead for his Star Wars character of Cassian Andor in the upcoming Disney Plus series Star Wars Andor. The chin is a combination of anticipation, excitement, and a splash of secrecy. Regarding the 12-episode project he executive produced and stars in, set to be released in 2022. He says, quote, you'll definitely see familiar faces. I can tell you about this project like no other because I can't spoil the ending. If you've seen Star Wars Rogue One already, no matter what I say, <laughs> I can't ruin the ending. Uh, I don't know, John. I'm, I'm pretty stoked for this, uh, more than I might have thought. What do you think? Well, look, I, I'll be the first to admit that I was also a little bit like curious as to why they would do out of all the shows they could do. Why Cassian Andor? Why a show about a character we know dies? Why, you know, what's there more to do? But the more I thought about yeah. it when the news first came out was the fascinating aspect that this specific character, Cassian, brings to the Star Wars universe was something that Star Wars never addressed. If you're going to have a rebellion, it's not going to be clean. It's not going to be pretty. There are things that are going to require people to be willing to get their hands dirty. There's going to be maybe some unspeakable things you need to do. If you believe you are fighting for the very soul of the universe, what won't you do? And Cassian Andor was the first guy they really showed us in live action that was that one who had to live in the gray a little bit. He had to do the dirty work that the rebellion needed done. He had to do some things that he hated he had to live with and all that kind of stuff. And so when you realize that, the idea of, of Cassian Andor's show, kind of looking at that side of the rebellion that we all know, this rebellion we all know, but having to look at it through a different set of lenses, maybe a more realistic set of lenses, to me became very fascinating and really, really interesting. And I, I got to say, Rob, the more time it's passed and the more that I think about it and the more that I think about this show in particular, the more excited I get for it to see really what kind of new ground can they break. And with him also being an executive producer on it, I think that says a lot about what it can do. But Rob, there's one other detail kind of buried away in this. And you just read it in the comment that's not getting a lot of attention. And that is this. This is a 12-episode series. Yep. That means this is going to be the longest Star Wars series that they've done so far. Because when we take a look at it, we've got the first season of The Mandalorian was eight episodes. 
The second season of Mandalorian was eight episodes. And the upcoming Obi-Wan series is six episodes. The Cassian Andor is going to be 12 episodes. I Now, you know me, Rob. I'm the guy who I miss the days of 20-plus episode seasons. I like real full seasons. Don't get me wrong. I love my streaming shows that are 8, 10, 12 episodes. I do. Or, you know, in the case of some... Disney Plus stuff, six episodes. I do, but I also really like well-done, long-form seasons. So having something that's Andor come along, that's kind of bucking the trend of shortening this, shortening seasons and shortening them and shortening them and shortening them. I love the fact that they're going to be doing 12 episodes. What do you think about that, the fact that they're doing 12? When others like Mandalorian, Obi-Wan, they're getting six, eight. How do you feel about that? Well, I think that, that obviously... Um they probably have a pretty great story to tell if they're going that many episodes. That's what I would think. Obviously they, they had, they had the show as far as I understand, they had the show plotted out. They weren't happy with all the episodes. Then they brought back in some script consultants. Some were very good script people. One person that worked on rogue one famously to rework the whole story. And I bet they're, I would imagine they've probably got a pretty incredible story to tell. Uh, it's, you know, it's different because I think when you're dealing with the kind of characters, it really is the whole men on a mission vibe or people on a mission or aliens on a mission, humanoids on a mission, droids on a mission, whatever you want to call it. This is working in a different genre than we've seen Star Wars traditionally work in before, which is the spy story, just like Rogue One was. It was build the team, go on the the, the suicidal mission and everyone dies. But in this time, this time we're going to see more of that intrigue and spy craft within the Star Wars universe. So I'm sure it's it's going to be sort of a labyrinthian plot. I, I'm stoked for this, man. I think it's going to be different than what we've seen. And I, I think it's going to be more of a slow burn. I can't wait for this. I agree. So the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Star Wars and or which I honestly think is maybe going to be the most interesting show that they do, considering they're taking they're taking us into the Star Wars world. We know, but looking at it from a totally different perspective, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Plus, I like this character very much. What do you think about it? what do you think about the fact that it's getting 12 episodes as opposed to eight or six? How are you guys feeling? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down. Let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Anthony Nafik, who writes, Good morning, John. I know you're a big fan of the first Venom. That's an understatement. I am a huge fan of the first Venom. And that you're seeing the new one tonight. I am indeed. Uh, Wondering if you saw that some others saw it last night and the first critic reactions came out. They're all basically really good and say this one seems to be an improvement over the first. What do you think of the reactions and does it get you more excited for the movie now? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Anthony. And yeah, as you guys know, I am a very big fan of the first Venom movie. I, you know, I know not certainly a lot of my critic peers didn't like it. That's fine. Not everybody loved it, but I loved it. I was thoroughly entertained by it. I was had a big smile on my face. Me and Ray went to go see it and we were smiling and laughing and just having a really good time through the whole movie. And a lot of the audience did too because word of mouth spread. And this movie, despite everybody in the world saying, this movie can't succeed because it doesn't have Spider-Man in it. Despite that, this movie made over $800 million because the word of mouth went crazy. 
people had fun. People had a good time and they went back to see it again and they brought more people and all that kind of stuff. And it proved the doubters wrong and Venom won. It won. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be for everybody. It's certainly not for everybody. And it's all film is subjective and all that kind of stuff. But I've been really excited for the second one, especially when I found out that Andy Serkis was going to be coming on and directing it as well. Now, you will remember that a number of a couple of weeks ago, there was the first public screening of it in the UK. They did a fan screening of the UK, and the response out of that was very positive. Great. That's fantastic. But yesterday they held the first press screening for it. And I'm going, they're doing it for over two nights. I'm going to the one tonight. So I will be having an out of the theater reaction. Keep your eyes on the YouTube channel tonight for my out of the theater reaction once I get out of seeing Venom tonight. But uh, the critics actually saw it. A number of the critics actually saw it last night. And the overwhelming kind of feel of it is this movie's quite good. And a lot of them even pointing out, uh, like a number of them saying, I didn't even like the first Venom. This one is definitely an improvement over the last. So let's go on over and take a look at some of the things that are being said. So Sean O'Connell writes, so I didn't care for Venom. Bad script, uneven tone, but Venom 2 figures it out. It embraces the zany side of the first movie and improves on most of the things that worked. Tom Hardy's physical comedy works. Carnage is a hoot. I dug it. And I think fans will have a blast. So that comes from Sean. Then a friend of mine, Jermaine Lucier, writes, "Uh, when it comes to Venom, let there be carnage. It's simple. Did you like the first one? You'll like this one. If not the first one, well, that's probably how you'll feel here. It's the bigger, faster version of the first movie, which I enjoyed and instantly forgot about. Fun, but frivolous. So that comes to us from Jermaine. And that's pretty much the most negative thing I've read. Uh, Mike Ryan, another guy I know, writes, Venom, let there be carnage. My gosh, these movies are so stupid that I can't help but how much I enjoy them. I could watch 10 more movies of Eddie and Venom Venom calling each other losers. There's a scene where Eddie and Venom are laying out on a beach together and they watch the sunset and yet he super enjoys it. Uh, Eric Davis, another friend of ours, writes, Tom Hardy is fantastic in Venom 2, a film that gladly and madly leans into its darkly hilarious tone and then some. Uh, uh, Definite natural-born killers vibes from our villains, but it's ultimately Hardy who steals the scenes with a -a one-of-a-kind performance that's so much fun to watch. And that kind of seems to be, Rob, the overall consensus there. Like, a lot of them are, listen, uh, some of them are, are saying it's great. Like, some of them are saying it's absolutely great. But also a number of, uh, a lot of them that I've been reading outside of the ones we just read here are also saying, you know, this one's good. And I thought the first one was terrible. So it seems to be winning over a number of people, Rob, who didn't exactly love the first one, but they're actually saying they're enjoying this one. Now, as somebody who did love the first one, that makes me very excited. So uh, I am stoked for this. I love what I'm hearing. Again, to me, it's especially encouraging hearing people who didn't like the first one saying, you know what? This one's an improvement. This one builds on what they did last time. This one fixes the problems of the last one, even though I love the first one myself. But anyway, Rob, you're, you're hearing these reactions. What do you think about the reactions and where's your expectation right now for Venom? Let there be carnage. Well, I mean, you know, what I find so interesting about a lot of these reactions is you have to tailor your expectations to what it is you're about to watch. This movie is called Venom, Let There Be Carnage. You've got Tom Hardy playing Venom again. You, you, you've got the character of Carnage uh, <laughs> coming to fight Venom, presumably. Of course, this is ridiculous. These characters were ridiculous even when they were conceived of in Spider-Man comics. I mean, <laughs> Venom's an alien symbiote that they discovered in Secret Wars. I mean, what's not to love? To me, this is like Godzilla versus Kong. 
You know, I mean, uh, to me, the, I, the, every time I see a new TV spot or a clip, this puts a smile on my face. Uh, <laughs> just like what I love about these movies is they're exactly what they want to be. It's not like somebody decided, well, you know, uh, we've decided to make Venom's story truly Shakespearean in scope and tragedy and pathos. <laughs> no, they didn't do that. They're like, we're making a Venom movie, dude. Now we're going to make a Venom and a Carnage movie. And and we got the guy who created Gollum to, to direct it. Caesar, King Kong. I mean, does he know motion capture or what? I, I think this movie looks like it's going to be exactly what we want. And how often can you say that in life? So I'm stoked, dude. I'm stoked about this movie. Yeah, and I'm I, like I said, I'm going to go see it tonight. But this brings up a question. Now, I think this movie does open this weekend. Clearly, this movie is going to surpass Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi's run of four straight weeks at number one is obviously going to end this weekend. And Venom is going to take the top spot. But how much is it going to make? And I, I don't think, obviously, because of the context we're living in right now, still we're in a pandemic world and stuff like that. So it's obviously not going to do as the first film as well. As, that, that's a given. Everybody knows that. But how will it do in relation to, say, a Shang-Chi? Uh, how will it do opening weekend? I'm hearing they're estimating maybe a $65 million opening for Venom. I certainly hope it does. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to guess $60 million for the opening weekend for Venom. And I think they'll take that and like, I mean, that that puts it just 10 million below what a Fast and the Furious movie opened with, with uh, 70 million when Fast 9 opened. It puts it only 20 million behind Black Widow and Black Widow's opening. It only puts it 15 million below Shang-Chi. I would love for this thing to come out and make $95 million. I really would. But I think it's going to be closer to 60. What do you think this thing's going to make opening weekend? I'm going to go higher. All right. I'll go, I'm going to go 70. Okay. And I'll tell you why I'm going to go 70. The movie's short. It's 90 minutes long. So they're going to be able to get more showings in per day. And I, I think this movie, I, I think this movie's going to be a smash hit because people are going to have so much fun. I certainly hope so. That would obviously be great. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? The, the reactions are coming in now. I'll give my reaction later tonight after I see it. But the reactions are coming in. It seems like even critics who didn't like the first one are saying this one's an improvement. The ones who did like the first one are loving this one. I hope I fall into that camp. We'll have to wait and see. Where are your expectations right now for Venom Let There Be Carnage? And how much do you think it's going to make opening weekend? I say 60. Rob says 70. Maybe you got a different number. I'm seeing some people in the live chat saying 100. I really don't think it's going to do that. But man, it would be great if it did. Whatever you got think jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with all that down out of the way let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions shall we once again if you want to send in a live comment or question to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video simply use the tip link that's down in the description you can click on it there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash tv slash tip once again you'll be getting your question read on a show if it's obviously appropriate for us to read on the show and of course you're supporting the channel at the same time and we all thank you very much guys for that support okay Let's get on over and start taking these questions, shall we? And we're going to start off the live questions today with one from, who is this from? From Crashing Coyote, who writes, Oi, 
John, not a fan of soccer at all, but I caved. Binge Ted Lasso in two days. Fuck, it's good. It's worth the watch for the dart scene alone. Did you know Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent, was one of the actors who auditioned for Negan in The Walking Dead and for Lucifer in Lucifer? Not surprised. Listen, all the major roles in Hollywood had like 40 or 50 people audition for them. I mean, you'd be shocked. Rob, you'd be shocked. Aaron Cummings, how many big roles big roles and Aaron's obviously been very successful. She's been in a lot of stuff, but how many roles like she's been in the top two or three, but yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that did that. Listen, Roy Kent is one of my favorite characters on television. You know, you know, well, what, like, what should I do? What would you want me to do? If suddenly you stepped onto a street and a bus hit you avenge me, <laughs> you get that bus driver and avenge me. Um, the show is great and fantastic. You know what, Rob, here's the funny thing about Ted Lasso though. We always joke, Ann and I joke about this all the time. For a show about an American soccer coach in the UK, there is an amazing lack of soccer in this show. Like, there's like no soccer in this show. There's very, very little soccer in this show. Uh, I I don't know, Rob, what do you attribute? What, what What makes Ted Lasso work for so many people, do you think? Well, I mean, I think that the the point isn't the playing of the soccer. You know, I I, I mean, they could, it would also make the show a lot more expensive if they're going to show soccer matches because then you have to fill the stands. And but I I think the the appeal of the show is even in the face of outward adversity from his team and from the owners and even from the British press and fans, Ted Lasso perseveres. You know, he 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 he. He buckles down. He gets the job done. He brings his unique brand of positivity to the job at hand. And um, I think especially in this in this era when everybody's angry all the time about everyone and respect has gone out the window. And I think we've forgotten what it means to have a positive outlook on life. And that's what Ted Lasso brings us. All right. Next up. We go over to Andres Moran, who writes, one of two, damn it, John, I just came back from a weekend at Vegas where I lost $500 on the tables. Uh, That's generally how most people's trips to Vegas go. Um, I also uh, went to to Pawn Stars. So you went to the Gold and Silver Pawn Shop. Awesome. And was not sober. So I ended up buying a $400 signed card of Henry Hill with a certificate of ah, authentication. Uh, What a good weekend. I also just wanted to remind the millions and millions of the Campia fans, how amazing you and the crew are. Thank you so much, man. And how much more I can appreciate a movie. Thanks to everything I've learned from watching you guys over the years. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Well, thank you so much for that, Andres. And you know, Rob, you know, I'm going to Vegas this weekend. Uh, this weekend, I'm heading out to Vegas for uh, the annual World Series of Poker. I tend, I go and play in it every year. Obviously, didn't do that last year with the COVID situation, but I'm very excited to get back out there this weekend. My buddy Sol and I are going to drive out on Friday and uh, looking forward to getting into the World Series there. Should be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, by the way, uh, Eat Movies is writing in the live chat, John, the UK called. They want you to stop saying soccer. And listen, tell them, send them a response to say to stop calling it football. Okay. We've got football. And then there's soccer. It's soccer, damn it. It's soccer. I just made everybody in the UK very mad at me. Well, forget the UK. I just made everybody else in the world mad at me. That's okay. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, Chris writes, 
Uh, hey, John, love all that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, you keep saying that you believe that Toby and Andrew are going to be in No Way Home, despite there being no evidence of that, to which I agree. Uh, why do you believe that they are going to be in it? Thanks for all that you do and stay safe. Yeah, I, I mean, Rob, we've been saying that for a while. Look, I, I believe they're going to be in it, but there's there's nothing there that absolutely, there's no actual real evidence, hard evidence that says they're going to be. So why do I believe they're going to be in it? Well, a couple things. Um, one is the fact that it's just too rich of an opportunity. Like, under normal circumstances, Rob, I would say bringing Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire in would be absolutely stupid. Just stupid and ridiculous. It would be a, it would be a desperate, desperate gimmick just to try to get a cheap pop. But... In the current storyline that they're developing with multiverse and all that kind of stuff, it actually, an Andrew and a Toby showing up actually has narrative purpose. You know, most of the times when we talk about this dream thing, I'll have Star Wars and Star Trek crossover. It's just a cheap, stupid, desperate gimmick. But here, it there's actually a foundation of narrative purpose that it gives it. You add on top of that that we are getting Alfred Molina uh, in there, that we are getting Jamie Foxx. We know that that's those that's fact. They've already acknowledged all that, and we've seen it in the trailer. Um, it just it just seems logical to me. Now, I'm by the way, Rob. I'm not going to be surprised if we watch this movie and they don't show up in it. I'm not going to be surprised, and it's not going to bother me one bit because I'm not a child. So, well, in many ways I am, but because I'm not a child, say, come on now. <laughs> in many ways I am. John, weren't you just the one talking about wanting to get laid and cut? Yeah, okay, fine, I am. But um, I'm not a child in all ways. So if they don't show up in, I'm not going to be mad about that as long as the movie's good and it's great. I, But I'll be a little surprised if they don't show up. So that's why I believe they will be in there. Although I am not willing to say, damn right, they're going to be in there. We have proof. No, we don't. So they'll be in it or they won't. I happen to think they will. Rob, I know you also believe they're going to be in this thing. Mm-hmm. Why do you believe they're going to be in it? Because wouldn't it be cool if? I mean, you know, we talked about that the other day. It's like if they're dealing with the multiverse and 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 you've got Sony, like it, to me, it just makes sense that somebody would make a movie like that, especially if you're bringing in if you're bringing in the villains specific spidey villains from specific spidey movies well the question then begs to be asked why wouldn't you bring in their spider-men too i mean wouldn't that be an obvious thing to want to do i i just think it it seems like it 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 seems like a huge missed opportunity because everybody if you didn't do it people would be going wouldn't it be neat though if they brought in those spider-men and everyone would have been yeah yeah, I mean, if Marvel's going to be like, well, we tried. But since when does Marvel ever say, well, we tried? Or Sony, whatever you want to call it. You know, they do. They do. And and after, after Endgame and after Infinity War, I mean, you still want to make a splash. Yeah, you go back and you got some origin movies coming out. Shang-Chi, Eternals have to be established. But... <laughs> why don't we end 2020 with the bang and give, give the audience something they're not going to believe leading into Spider-Man, uh, leading Spider-Man into his role in multiverse of madness. Yeah. I, I would also say to that though, this as a caution, whereas obviously Kevin Feige is not adverse to fan service. 
help, 60% of Endgame is fan service. So yeah. he's obviously not averse to fan service. But one of the things that has made Feige so successful is that it's got to serve my story. And if he's got an idea for a story and having Andrew and Toby in there doesn't work with what it is he's trying to do, then he won't shoehorn them in there just for the hell of it. But again, I think it makes narrative sense. So I don't know. That's why I'm expecting to see them, but I won't be surprised if we don't. And I'm not going to be upset if they don't. I just want to see a good movie. All right. Good question, Chris. Next up, uh, BK Dan writes, John, did you see or hear that D&D celebration? They announced a new evolution of the game for all the nerds, D&D geeks here. I did not hear about that. I did not hear about that. Um, that's interesting. Look, I love Dungeons and Dragons. You guys know that my wife and I both play D and D. Uh, my wife plays with like some of the most prominent D and D people in the world. Um, and I, she's our game master. She's our dungeon master. When we play, I like the game. I've been playing that game since I was a kid. The one criticism I have about Dungeons and Dragons, and this is one of the reasons why Pathfinder became uh, kind of popular is that, over the years, especially once you get into 5th edition, which has a lot of strong things about it, the game has become overly complicated. It's it's nowhere near as easy as it used to be to just grab some dice, a pencil and paper, sit down and go, you know? It's become a little complicated. Rob, that's why, you know, I play that Star Wars role-playing game. Like, my mm -hmm. favorite role-playing game system of all time is the Star Wars West End Games RPG system, the D6 system. It's so intuitive. It is so... It's got all the mechanics in it that you need, but it is so intuitive and easy to understand. You want to be able to do this, you got to roll this. Here you go. And it's a, it's just such a basic, fundamentally intuitive rule set to play that it makes it a joy to play, especially after you've played a couple of sessions of D&D, &D, when you're constantly having to use software and you're having to like rip through a 300-page book just to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do here? And what's the mechanic? And it's great. It's wonderful. But again, I think it's a game that's become a little bit overcomplicated. And if they are kind of kind of do an um, a uh, facelift of the game, it would be nice to see if they try to get it a little to simplify the game a bit, make it a little bit more intuitive again, so it becomes more about playing the game than it is about having to have a master's degree in the rules of fifth edition D and D. You know what I mean? So I, I hope that's what it's going to be BK. I certainly hope they don't complicate it even more, but that's just me. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, uh, where are we? with all the weird, totally random casting for the Mario movie, I'm surprised that James Corden isn't in there somewhere. Oh crap. He's Yoshi. Isn't he? I care. Is James. I can't remember. I don't think James Corden was in there. Was he? I don't, I, I don't no. think he, I, I can't remember that, uh, but yeah, that's, it seems like the type of movie that James uh, Corden would be a part of. By the way, I always do like him as a matter of fact. Okay. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes, Hey John, just wanted to support the show. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate that. I really, I really, the I-T-A-S-E, by the way, that's the I-A-T-S-E and the uh, producers association make an agreement. Oh, so you probably meant you really hope the IATSC and the uh, producers make an agreement before the strike happens. I agree. If it comes to a strike, then so be it. But I hope Hollywood does not shut down again. Yeah, Rob, listen, I somebody brought this up in my After Dark show last night about, you know, is this going to happen? And, and, you know, I still believe it can definitely happen. It can definitely happen. I believe it won't. I believe 
everybody knows what's at stake here. I think the producers know what's at stake. I think the 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 union itself knows what that's what's at stake. I think the producers know improvements have to be made to the current conditions for the uh, for the union members. And I think everybody knows Hollywood can't take another shutdown right now. And nope. I, I got to believe that cooler heads will prevail and they're going to come to an agreement. They might not. And it'll be totally tragic if it doesn't, because it shuts everything down. It shuts every TV show down. It shuts every movie down. Everything gets shut down. But I, I believe they're going to come to an agreement. I, I really do. How are you feeling about the situation right now? <clears throat> well, I'm hoping they come to an agreement. They're pretty far apart, but I think you're right. There's so much at stake. Nobody wants to shut the, the industry down. But then again, the issues that IATSE has are very real and they need to yep. be addressed. And um, hopefully they'll be able to hammer out a, an agreement before things get dire. Yep. Here's fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. All right. Next up, Agent J writes. Hey, John, greetings from France. Well, bonjour, Agent J. Uh, je m'appelle Jean-Claude Montepel, too. Anyway, I just saw Dune and was amazed by it. Uh, definitely something that must be seen on a big screen. In spite of vaccine pass re- uh, requested, the movie opened better than Star Wars Episode Nine in 2019. This bodes well for North America. Thoughts? Again, that is fantastic results, and I'm so glad you saw it, Agent J, and that you were able to enjoy it. Again, though, it didn't have the problem over there of also opening on HBO max on the same day. And I hope that true, all true movie fans get out there and see this film in theaters. If they're able to, depending on where they are and what circumstances they're under um, and, you know, bypass the HBO nonsense. But I, I have a feeling it's really going to negatively uh, affect it. Agent J. I hope I'm wrong, but I, it sounds so good. I'm hearing from you guys who are seeing it and saying it's so good. I cannot wait to watch this thing, dude. All right. Thanks for that. Agent J. Next up, Detroit dog writes, Hey John, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and also recommend squid games. I watched it. Uh, I saw it trending on Netflix and gave it a try. And Oh my God, my jaw was on the floor. I binged it in one sitting, uh, not going to spoil it, but just watch Episode one, you won't regret. Yeah, Rob, I did. I think we were talking about this the other day. I did finally get, I sat down and watched Squid Game. I enjoyed it. I watched the whole series in three days. I watched all nine episodes over the course of three days. Ann and I both watched it and I quite enjoyed it. I personally don't think it's as mind-blowing as some people seem to feel it is. I mean, obviously it borrows very heavily from a lot of other things. It borrows very heavily from things like Battle Royale or or even Hunger Games and other things like that as well. But, you know, it's it's still really compelling. It makes great social commentary. I wasn't a huge fan of the last episode, but overall, I liked it. I I mean, it's not going to end up in my top five favorite shows of the year or anything, but I enjoyed it enough that I watched it all really quickly. I can't remember. Have you gotten on board with this show yet? I'm dying to see it. I'm dying to see people keep telling me about it. It's right up my alley. I've seen the trailer like five times. I really want to see this show. I can't wait. All right. I just finished sex education on Netflix. I think I'm going to jump into midnight mass, but then after that, I'm going to watch squid games. All right. I got to get on Midnight Mass here soon. Okay, next up, Casey McNatt writes, Hey, John, hope your weekend went well. It did go well. Thank you so much. Well, they have had two shows now, and so far, I got to say, Netflix to dumb was a letdown. Sure, it was nice to finally see some footage from Sandman and The Witcher Season 2, but DC fandom, it is not. Yeah, I never, I wasn't even remotely interested in watching that Netflix to dumb, although it's that's a very clever name, Rob. That's a very clever name because obviously you load up any show on Netflix, right? So calling it Netflix to done, 
Very clever. Very clever. But yeah, they never did anything that made me feel like, oh, this is something I got to take time out of my day to sit down and watch. And yeah, I mean, uh, but that's the thing. When you've had something like DC Fandom come out and set the bar, if you're going to do something like that, you got to do it right like DC did it. You can't just come out and say, ah, oh, now watch this. And say it, 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 they, it made them seem disconnected, out of touch. I don't know. Whatever. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make me look on Netflix negatively. But everything I'm hearing was that it was pretty much a letdown. Did you watch any of it, Rob? Any of that Netflix sit Uh I did. Uh, yeah. I think it was- <laughs> didn't blow you away? It didn't blow me away. Uh, well, uh, okay. So Casey McNatt, you are not alone in that. All right. Next up, uh, Colaco writes, greetings, my fellow movie loving peeps. A lot of are assuming whether or not uh, Shang-Chi has made a profit. It has. Uh, I know you've mentioned a film has to make two to two and a half times its budget. Is there any way to know the exact numbers and when exactly a film goes green? Oh, prop, you mean into the black. Anyway, thanks and love you. Thanks for that, uh, Kolako. Well, yeah, look, this comes up a lot. Let me see if I can get this on screen for us here. I'll try to bring this up into the Campia classroom if I can. Now, look, there is no way to know exactly because there's a million uh, different variables. Okay, so uh, when does a movie make money? Okay, so there's a million different variables, but let me give you the, the little base, the basics of it, okay? Let me give you the basics of it here as we jump over into the Campia classroom. Okay, so the basic... Again, this is a general rule of thumb, okay? It's just a general rule of thumb. What you do is take the total cost, and that is a production budget plus marketing. That's your total cost, okay? Again, we are not getting, we're not talking, this is just a general rule of thumb. It doesn't give you the exact numbers, but it gives you a good general idea. Then you... Uh, take the total income and basically speaking, that is box office minus, not boo, (laughs) box office minus theaters cut, the movie theaters cut, okay? So first you come up with the total cost, which is generally speaking, just to give you a ballpark, the production budget plus marketing. Then you take Then once you have that number, you take the total income, which is the box office minus the theatrical cut. And you come up with something like this. Let's say a movie, uh, let's say a, uh, let's say movie M, okay, cost 100 to make and 100 to market, okay? If that was the case, then you got uh, PB plus marketing um, equals $200 million, right? So that's $200 million. Now let's say the movie made $300 million at the box office. You minus 
the theatrical cut, which is roughly, I mean, you hear a lot of people say all these numbers like half and stuff like that. I am telling you, I worked at AMC. They specifically told me on a trip that roughly speaking, the theaters get one third. When it's all said and done, it really shakes down to one third because it's different. Opening weekends, the theaters keep much less. And then as the time goes on, the theater cut increases, but the studios get the lion's share of when the most money is made. It roughly works down to one third. So basically what you got to do is take box office and minus 33% roughly or one third. So in this case, this movie M that made 300 at the, that the uh, 300 million at the box office, you minus one third, which will in this case will be a hundred million. So you are left with a total income of 200 million. So in this case, you have a total cost of 200 million because that's production budget plus uh, marketing. And then you have total uh, income is equal to 200 million. You've got a movie, movie M broke even. Okay. So again, if you want to get a general idea, a general idea, and I'm oversimplifying this, but this just gives you, again, a basic rule of thumb. If you want a general idea about how much money, when has a movie become profitable, get the total cost, that's your production budget plus marketing. Then take the total income, which is box office minus one-third for the, the theatrical cut, and there you have your answer. So in the case of, let's take a look at Shang-Chi in general. So at for uh, Shang-Chi... Shang-Chi cost $150 million to make, plus, I, I originally heard it was like $30 million in marketing, but I, but I then heard back that it was actually $40 million. So, plus $40 million. So, they did spend a huge amount of money on the marketing of Shang-Chi, because in other, like some movies, they'll spend $100 million more, but I heard $40 million, so we'll go with that. So, the total cost of Shang-Chi... Comes out to be about 190 million. Or you know what? If you want to just just be a little safe, let's say 200 million, just to be safe. Let's just say 200 million to round out. That means at minimum, Shang Chi needs to make 300 million at the box office to break even. Because remember, you get that 300 million, then you have to minus one third, which would leave it at 200 million. So at roughly 200 million, anything over 300 million that Shang-Chi makes becomes profit. So this will be different from film to film. Okay. This will be different from film to film. Every film will have its own production budget and every, every film will have its own unique production budget and every film will have its own marketing budget. Some marketing budgets will be 100 million. Some marketing budgets will be 10 million. Some marketing budgets will be 150 million, depending on how big and crazy the movie is. But that gives you an idea. All right, that gives you an idea. So if we go over right now to uh, Box Office Mojo and we look up Shang-Chi, um, Shang-Chi, right now Shang-Chi has made worldwide has made $336 million worldwide. That's over the 300 it needs. Shang-Chi is already profitable. Every dollar that Shang-Chi makes at the box office right now is profit. So, um, yeah, so there we go right now. That's where we're at right now.
And so again, if you want to know basically when a movie breaks even, take the production budget plus marketing, that's your total costs. Then get your total income, which is box office minus one third for theatrical take. As long as your income is higher than your total costs, that's when a movie makes money. Again, there are, there are more specifics. I'm way oversimplifying it. I am way, I'm admitting that I'm super oversimplifying it. But again, that's just to give you a basic rule of thumb to give you a general idea about when a movie breaks even. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that's helpful. Okay. Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, next up, uh, my comic planet writes, uh, John, help me out. Uh, did Nick Diaz quit against Robbie Lawler? Uh, he grabs his knee, but later seemed fine. I think he just gave up. He said before the fight, he didn't want to fight Robbie, but you can't go out like that. What did you think about his behavior? I think, I, I think Robbie Lawler put it best. It's not that he quit. It's just that he took too much damage. He just knew, look, Nick Diaz has been fighting long enough. He knows when he's taken an amount of damage that I can't win this fight now. You know, and Robbie Lawler said that. He said Nick Diaz didn't quit. He just knew he took too much damage. He wasn't going to be able to go. Everything, his, he, he had hurt his hand. He had hurt his knee. I mean, Robbie Lawler just fought the superior fight. And I thought Nick Diaz looked really good for a guy who hasn't fought in six years, fighting a dangerous former champion like Robbie Lawler. I thought he looked really good. But he just got to that point where he, he took too much damage. He knew he was getting overwhelmed, and he knew he was beat. So instead of just standing back up and letting his face get punched a thousand more times, he knew he was done. It's like any any, any MMA fighter, when they know they're done, you got to tap. And he knew that he had taken too much damage and it was time to time to, for the fight to end. And he's veteran enough that he knew when to do it. So honestly, I think hats off to him. I think he, he stepped out when he should have stepped out. That's my opinion at any rate. Okay, next up. Uh, Tanu writes, which one was your favorite Star Wars vision? Uh, which one would you like to see a continuation for? For me, Ninth Jedi. You know what? Everybody loved Ninth Jedi, and I I didn't particularly <laughs> love Ninth Jedi. Everybody's saying how much they like that one. I didn't particularly like that one. Anyway, or The Elder fills both of those. Uh, would also love to see a continuation of Lop and Ocho. Uh, Lop and Ocho was actually really good. Rob, I don't know about you, but for me, they led off with their strongest episode, which was The Duel. That episode was mind-blowing. I ate it up. That and The Elder. Th th those two episodes to me were like, to me, whenever I think about Star Wars Visions, I'm going to think of those two chapters. Now, again, La Pinocho, that one was really good too. The Ninth Jedi wasn't bad. Some of them were kind of a waste. It, it was a little bit hit and miss, but man... And I understand there's a novelization coming out for the duel as well that goes more mm. into the Ronin and stuff like that. But yeah, the Elder and the Duel were my favorite episodes by far. Rob, which one was your favorite? I like the Village Bride. I don't know if that really? was that my one favorite. Cool. I, I just thought, you know, it struck me as something that was different. But yeah, I mean, look, I like the duel. I like the twins. Um and uh, I, I did, and I like Lopinocho a lot. All right. Uh, but I like the overall, I really like the overall, what a really interesting out-of-the-box thing to do with Star Wars. I mean, I appreciated all of it. You know, I think I like Tatooine Rhapsody more than a lot of people did. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like Tatooine Rhapsody. I mean, I love the fact that a youngling, you know, escapes <laughs> death to become a front man for a rock band that gets put on the circuit by Jabba the Hutt. Come on. Are you That's ready to, to love. rock up? I will say this, though. 
while it was a little hit and miss for me, conceptually, I think this is a much better version of what if. Like this idea of using these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anthology stories. Using these things to tell really different types of Star Wars stories in a really different way, in a really different environment. To me, they're a better version of what if. And even though it was a little hit and miss for me, I thought conceptually it's great. And if they do end up doing a vision season two, I will be all over it. I will be all over it because I really love the concept of it. Okay. Uh, Next up, we got an anonymous viewer who writes, Hey, John and Rob, if you're there, and he is here, I love going to the movies, but I'm hesitant because of some concerning news. Uh, There are people that are faking vaccine cards and even hacking the app so they can appear vaccinated. It's despicable and I don't feel safe. Yeah, it's cowardly and despicable and ignorant and it, it is all those things, but it's not that widespread. It's not that widespread. So I wouldn't, if, if you're vaccinated um, and uh, you take proper procedures as well, because it's not that common of a thing, it's still fairly uncommon. I wouldn't, honestly, myself, I wouldn't worry about it, but I'm not going to blame you if you do worry about it. I, I, I don't blame you at all. You need to look after yourself um, and that's totally good. I just would myself say I, I wouldn't let it worry my I wouldn't let it worry me too much, to be honest, because again, it's not that widespread. All right, uh, next up. Uh, A. Marcellus writes, uh, one of two, have gone over the amount of shows I've been watching in the last few years, and it's so much. Uh, Ratched, I don't, I'm not sure what that one is. Uh, you, I know that one. Umbrella Academy, The Boys, Titans, Superman, Lois, Stargirl, Doom Patrol, American Horror Story, Marvel, and Star Wars Disney Plus shows. Uh, this is why I'm glad that some shows don't run for 22 episodes anymore. Also, I cut The Walking Dead, Star Trek shows, and remaining CW shows out of my life. I need time for gaming, PlayStation, Nintendo, or taking up my holiday season. I mean, that's that's the thing. When you get into Rob, you often refer to the age we're in as an embarrassment of riches. There is so much good stuff out there right now that there is not simply enough time to see it all. I mean, and that's the thing, because you and I are both getting constantly told all the time about, oh, you got to see this show, and you got to see this show, and you got to see this show. It's like, uh, my dance card's already full. Like, it's crazy. There's like, I'm watching so much good stuff, and there's still so much good stuff I haven't seen. It is an embarrassment of riches. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, I think that you're exactly right. We're talking about it. There's, I, I can't even keep, so many shows that are dropping, especially a lot of foreign shows. I mean, Money Heist season five is coming out. There's movies I have to see. There's physical media that's being dropped in 4K that I've wanted to watch. I mean, there's so much great stuff. Um, I, you just, you know what? You just got to take a deep breath and slowly wake, work your way through it all. By the way, uh, thank you guys in the live chat. A bunch of people in the live chat are reminding me that uh, Ratchet is, of course, the Nurse Ratchet show. Of course, why did I forget that? Thank you for reminding me about that, guys. Okay, Lloyd Christmas writes, Hey, John, have you seen or do you plan on watching Midnight Mass? I get excited for anything Mike Flanagan and his, and this one didn't disappoint. Favorite show of the year so far. Thanks, John, and keep doing what you're doing. You know what's funny, Rob? I got an invitation from Netflix about a month ago inviting me to a special screening of midnight mass and i just never got around to it i I just never did i don't really know much about it you mentioned midnight mass a little bit earlier this is one you've been looking forward to i you know what i'm a mike flanagan fan and uh i i really like dr sleep i like gerald's game i love dr sleep 
yeah, his two King adaptations. I really like Haunting of Hill House, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this. All right, next up, we go to Alan, who writes, Hey, John, I didn't hate Snake Eyes, but it got me thinking. Next time they do another G.I. Joe project, should they do another origin story for one of the characters or just start with a team-up movie? Your thoughts? It's completely irrelevant, Alan. It's an irrelevant question. It has nothing to do about whether it's a team-up movie or an individual movie. If you make it shitty, it doesn't matter. And that's the thing. Snake Eyes could have worked perfectly great as a launch point for this new G.I. Joe world they want to do. It could have been perfect for it. It's not about the formula. Do you do a team up or do you say it's irrelevant? It's completely irrelevant. Because if you're not going to make the movie good, it doesn't matter. If you're going to make the movie as shitty as Snake Eyes was, then it doesn't matter if you come out and do the next one and say, you know, the next one is Roadblock. Well, it doesn't matter if you're going to make it shitty. Or the next one is an actual G.I. Joe team up. Doesn't matter if you're going to make it shitty. You got to show us that you can make these movies well and make them fun and make them entertaining and get us engaged and like the characters. Rob, we talked about this. It's hard to like a movie when you hate the hero. And they made Snake Eyes such a sniveling little asshole that I just, I hated it. I hated that movie so bad. (laughs) And then even if you're going to put all the best martial arts in the world in it, if you're going to fucking hold your stupid camera and do this. Oh, look, everybody. Ooh, this movie must be exciting because the camera is shaking so much. Must be great. Fuck you. I couldn't see a damn thing. Like, they shit the bed so bad on this movie. It just makes me angry the more I think about it because it could have been so great. It could have been great. So it it really doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Uh, honest, I, I appreciate you asking the question, Alan, but I'm saying the answer is it's irrelevant whether they do a standalone or a team up. Because all that matters is, do you make a good movie? That's it. That's it. Yep. I don't know, Rob. How, how would you how would you answer that? Well, you know, it, it bothers me when any film comes out that's disappointing. But with a movie like Snake Eyes, you know, I I watched it because I wanted to see about the fight scenes. And we have so much like the John Wick movies. We have such great action choreography going on. I was really, I was really bewildered actually by it. Like, why, why would you make that movie and think, oh, you're giving the audience what they want with these kinds of fight scenes? Why just hold the camera steady? And the reason they do that is it's a trick. You know, it's a trick to disguise the faster you cut things, the shakier your choreography is. You're creating a sense of action that doesn't really exist. What you're doing is you're, you're forcing the audience's perception to be skewed as opposed to providing them great action choreography that doesn't need those things it's a it's an editorial trick and it's a cinematography trick where you're covering up what you're lacking in your own fight choreography and my my whole feeling is why would you not you you look at a movie like shang chi long takes you have jackie chan's stunt coordinator those fight scenes work and that's what creates action when you watch something last for one or two or three moves. And then suddenly you're like, wow, those guys are really fighting. Not in Snake Eyes, man. It was a huge lost opportunity. And the whole reason for watching it is for those action scenes. And if they're bad, you failed. Yeah. You failed as filmmakers. And my question is, why did you allow that to happen? Yeah, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> then, it, then you watch Shang-Chi where it's like, oh, look, you can move the camera. Because in Shang-Chi, in the action sequences, the camera moves. 
It, it doesn't do this. They moves, and when they move the cameras in Shang-Chi, they move it so we can better see the action and we can better appreciate this beautiful choreography that's going on. Whereas in in uh, Snake Eyes, it's it's like they didn't believe in their action. And it's like, oh, well, the only way this is going to feel intense is if we shake the camera. It's like, oh, don't you feel immersed in the movie now? No, I can't understand what the hell's going on. Anyway, sorry. I, I've, I've bitched and cried and moaned about that enough. So let's move on. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Alan. Next up, Alan also writes, John. I've always wanted to see a live action Gundam movie. And remember you saying before that they definitely will do one eventually. Have you heard anything? And are there any particular anime series you would like to see adapted? Hashtag catch up on eggs. I know the only anime I've ever been interested in doing live action is space battleship Yamato, also known as star blazers. I know there was a Japanese one. It frankly wasn't very good. Uh, I want a North American live action, uh, Star Blazers. I want that badly. It's the only one I'm really interested in, to be honest with you. I haven't heard anything more on Gundam since we talked about it a while ago. Rob, have you heard yep. any more details at all? No, uh, just that the director had made a video a couple months back about him wanting to do it. Um, by the way, if I could make any live action anime, I would adapt Legends of the Galactic Heroes. I thought you were going to say Robotech, but okay uh that's a good one by the way next up we got sam fisher who writes one of two i would love to see a drama series about marvel comics pitch it's an anthology series each episode about a different creator from the 60s and 70s kirby ditko heck thomas uh romita senior Engelhart, conway <clears throat> but not stan stan is the through line uh also all the actors are the same so if kirby is in the ditko episode he's played by the same guy as the as in the kirby episode because mostly everyone non-common people know stan but i don't think a lot of people People know the others. I'll be honest with you, Sam. I don't think I don't think that would work. I honestly don't think it would get a lot of people watching it. I would be far more interested instead of a drama series. I would love to see like an HBO or Disney Plus limited docu series on this. You know, call it the the building blocks of Marvel or whatever, where. It's, a, it's more documentary format. I honestly don't think a drama series format like this, like a Mad Men, I honestly don't think that would work and I don't think it would get a lot of attention. I would be more interested in a documentary about that where every episode of the docuseries, and I like the way you set it up too, looks at an individual creator, but Stanley is the constant through and he's kind of your through line throughout the docuseries. I know, Rob, do you think this is something that could actually work as like a Mad Men drama series or... Or would you lean more me, say it'd be more interesting as a documentary series? And do you think the audience, would you think there would be a big audience for either of those? I, you know, I do. Look, making a Mad Men type series is a really difficult proposition. Uh, however, but documentary series, dude, there's so many documentaries that are, are they've really perfected the documentary form, especially long form documentaries, especially the kind when they're they're kind of combining documentary footage with recreations and there's some really clever things happening so maybe documentaries are the way to go just doing something like mad men requires man you've got to have great writers to be able to pull something like that off yeah and again i just don't know it's something that you would get a lot of the general viewing audience would be all that interested in one but i think documentary they're the hottest things right now that and true crime true crime podcasts and documentaries man they're the hottest things on streaming right now all right uh let's see next up uh oh sam also writes uh call if call if the 
Marvel bullpen, because that's what that was the name of Stan's little article at the end. Yes, it was. Stan gave the staff when he introduced them in the comics. All right, next up, James Clark writes, I believe that Kathleen Kennedy will lead Lucasfilm for the foreseeable future. Not ideal. However, I wonder if she has any traits that could help her protect Star Wars from Bob Chapek's less than ideal decision-making abilities. What do you think? I, I personally don't think Kathleen is going to be there much longer. Um, I give it another year. I give it another year, and then I think she's going to move on and go back to doing what she's truly exceptional at, which is just producing movies as a producer. Um, But I I don't think she's going to be there a lot longer than that. And no, uh, one of the things that we have seen already from this, uh, how do I put it kindly? This train wreck of a leadership transition from the great big Papa Iger, Bob Iger, to Bob Chapek. Um, has been that Bob Chapek doesn't give two shits about the creators. He just doesn't care about the creators. He has methodically and instantly taken away all the authority from the creators. He's put his business people that he's been buddies with in senior positions over them to govern their decisions. He doesn't listen to the creatives. He doesn't care about the creatives. And Rob, I've said for a long time that I think, uh, I think Kevin Feige is already eyeing what the next mountain is. He wants to climb outside of Marvel. And I think under a Bob Chapek, it's only going to hasten that. Listen, it's, it's not an insignificant detail. Guys, listen to this because I'm telling you, this is true. It is not some insignificant little detail that Bob Chapek didn't bother to show his stupid face at the Shang-Chi world premiere. He didn't. He, he couldn't even be bothered to show a monochrome of support for the talent and the creators by showing up. Big Papa Iger, I can't think of a single Disney premiere that I was at that Big Papa Iger wasn't there. Bob Iger was always there. Not because he needed to be on camera. He's already Big Papa Iger. He is the game, okay? Iger didn't play the game. He is the game, okay? Yeah, Triple H is nice. Bob Iger is the game. He's the man, and he knows it. He didn't go to those things so he could have his face on camera. He went because he knew, as the leader of Disney, he needed to be there to show his support, to show that, hey, this Disney project has all of Disney behind it. We appreciate our creators. We're for our creators. We support our creators. And he made sure that every one of those damn premieres, even though he probably had a thousand other things to do, he went and showed his damn face at those things. Bob Chapek couldn't be fucking bothered to show up. After making that stupid comment, and I know he didn't mean it the way it sounded, but after making that stupid, oh yeah, Shang-Chi's an interesting little experiment. Like, I understand he didn't mean it as badly as it came across. I know he didn't. But he had to recognize it came across completely the wrong way, that even the star of the movie, Simu Luke, came out and said, we're not just an experiment, dude. We're not just an experiment. (laughs) You had the star of the movie calling out the head of the company. And then the moron couldn't even be bothered to show up to the premiere to show the slightest bit of support. Rob, I'm telling you, Bob Chapek is the biggest threat to Kevin Feige staying at Marvel long term because everybody else in this business is going to be lining up to offer Kevin Feige whatever he wants. And when his deal is up, he's going to look around and say, huh. I could get complete support and encouragement and absolute backing from this guy, this guy, this studio, this studio, and this studio, 
Or I could stay here with Bob Chapek, who keeps putting people who know nothing about that business in decision-making authority over me and not even showing up to our damn premieres. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to get the hell out of Dodge. So no, I don't think Kathleen Kennedy, even in all of her, with all this, the, the, the panache she carries and all the, 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 the resume she carries and all that. No, no, she's got nothing she can do with Bob Chapek because Bob Chapek doesn't care about the creators. He doesn't care about this. This in the, I, Okay, Rob, I'm, I'm going off and ranting now. I'm going to stop. Rob, do you have anything you want to add to this? Well, I mean, I, mean, I think you, you summed it up well, but if you're a figurehead and you're running a studio, um, like you said, talent relations are very, very important because your entire Disney's entire brand is built on the creative efforts of actors, writers, directors, animators, their rich entertainment legacy. And of course, Walt Disney himself, it's all about the entertainment. It's all about the stuff that you've made and uh, Shang-Chi, the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, perhaps the most important entertainment franchise in history. So you, I don't care what you do when something new comes out, you step up to the plate. I mean, look at all the people that are involved in these projects, you know, as a figurehead of your company, this is where you stop everything. You get out in front of it and you, you celebrate the great creative efforts of all the people that have come together to make these movies. Your job. Number one, before anything else happens, you have to make sure that the legacy of your company, which is being forged by those that are making the entertainment that people love so much that you build everything else on, you better make sure those people know that they're valued by you. Otherwise, you're failing at your job. Yep. Yep. And, and again, I seeing a, a bunch of people in the live chat who are... <sighs> But John, right now it looks like everything's fine. That's the thing. With this type of culture poison, you're not going to see the true damage of it today or tomorrow or six months from now. It's stuff that starts, you see the impact and the ramification of it 18 months from now, two years from now. That's when you see the real effects of the damage that's being done now. You're not going to see it. You're not going to recognize the damage. Rob, if I can go back to uh, the the uh, the HBO series Chernobyl, right? right? When those firefighters went to the facility and they got hit with that radiation, they didn't die right there on the spot. They still looked fine. They were able to walk around. You know, they, it's after time. The damage that was done takes time to manifest, and that's that's uh, that's the case here. Unless Chapek is you know figures this out and realizes, hey, I made a couple of mistakes here starting out. I'm going to change directions a bit and I'm going to go in a more productive direction. If he does that, awesome. If not, I think we're going to, I think a couple of years from now, we're going to see some real damage. I really do. Anyway. Okay. Uh, next up here, uh, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, I always hear Rob talk about how streaming isn't quite the same quality as Blu-rays. I always notice the difference also. I got in, in an argument with my buddy yesterday. He is like, 4K is 4K. He doesn't get it facepalm. Yeah, 4K is, Rob, and I'm sure you agree with me, 4K is not 4K. It's Now, all that 4K tells you is how many pixels are, are in the image, right? But how much data, how much uh, information is being poured into those pixels. Because you can have, you know, uh, a 1920 by 1080 image that's, you know, 100 kilobits big, 
and you can have a, have a 1920 uh, by 1080 image that's 40 megabytes. And the 40 megabyte one is clearly going to look better. Mm-hmm. And with a Blu-ray disc, you don't have to worry about band. Well, I mean, even the disc has physical bandwidth limits, but it's those physical bandwidth limits are much higher than what streaming is right now. Although, Rob, we've been looking a lot of the streaming uh, stuff and providers are now showing that they can start streaming things at 80, 80 megabits yep. per second. They're starting to be to roll out finally data transfer rates that are approaching that of Blu-ray, but that's still a little ways off. It's starting to be introduced still a ways off. No, right now, 4K on a Blu-ray disc, you may not be able to discern it with your eye depending on your television and how far back you sit and all that kind of stuff, but believe that there is a, a quality difference right now. Rob, how would you address that? Oh, absolutely. Like, I'll give you an example. So Warner Brothers, or Warner Brothers, a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie in widescreen at 2K is uh, four, uh, 2048 by eight eight five eight pixels, right? The four K version of that same movie is four zero nine six by seventeen sixteen pixels, which is quite a quite a bit larger. Now that's how that's how sized the image is. Now getting it over streaming, however, like you pointed out, it's all about how how many megabits uh it, it it is being streamed to you like how many how how much can your system in terms of whatever your i mean system meaning whatever your provider allows you to stream and the problem is they're compressing those 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 the sizes they're compressing those images to be able to stream through the pipeline now it's always getting bigger and better but the thing about a disc is you're getting that hopefully it's as uncompressed as possible everything's compressed because you can't fit like Tango Shalom. The 4K version is almost 800 gigabytes. We don't have physical media that has yep. that much space, but uh, so everything is compressed. But it's it's a, a, a stronger uh, image and a stronger stream because you're going direct to your 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 system off the the platter itself through your player. So I mean, we're, we're it's tremendous oversimplification, but with the amount of material that's being streamed on the internet. We just don't have the ability to provide that resolution all the time because of how much how how much information is coming across those systems. All right. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, anonymous. It's much more complicated than 4K is 4K because no, it's not. All right. Florida man writes one of two. Hey, John, long time viewer, first time tipper. Thank you so much for being here, Florida man. Are there any movie scores that you think are great, even if the movie itself isn't that good? For me, John Williams score for the prequel trilogy and uh, Leonard Roseman's score for the animated Lord of the Rings. Oh, that one was actually pretty good. You're right. Lord of the Rings comes to mind. Also, I just saw Fast 9 and I wasn't a fan. Although I didn't dislike it as much as you did, I personally thought it was the second worst uh, to the second one. But everyone uh, has a bad day at the office, Justin Lin included. So bring on Fast 10. Hey, listen, I'm still looking forward to Fast 10. I am a fan of the Fast series. I didn't like 9. Me too. I didn't like 9. That's fine. I'm still looking forward to Fast 10 as well. Um, I got to agree with you about like the, the, I thought the music in the prequels were good, particularly in the Phantom Menace, Rob, like the, because the Phantom Menace gave us actually one of an, an iconic, I mean, not, it's not the same as the main fanfare, nor is it the same as Imperial March, but I'm telling you, Duel of the Fates, Duel of the Fates 
might have been the best thing to come out of the Star Wars prequels. Like Duel of the Fates to me was fantastic. So yeah, that's one to me that I would say is a great score that to a movie that I didn't like. Rob, can you think of one off the top of your head, like movie that maybe had a great score for a movie you didn't like all that much? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know what? I'll tell you something. I think one of the greatest scores ever written for a movie that disappointed me is Tron Legacy. Oh, that that was really good too. Yeah, you're the, right. The Daft Punk score for Tron Legacy is one of my favorite modern scores, certainly. And I wanted to love the movie. I just didn't. And I think the score is the best thing about it. But it looks great. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Filey315 writes. Speaking of J. Michael Straczynski, of course, we talked yesterday about the fact that he is personally rebooting um, – I almost said Deep Space Nine, Babylon 5. Uh, have you read his autobiography, Becoming Superman? He has a really interesting life story, both in relation to his family and his professional career as a TV and comics writer. I highly recommend the book. Now, I have never even heard of the book, finally, so I've never read it at all. If anybody around here has read that book, it would be Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, have you read the book, Becoming Superman? I own it, and I haven't read it yet. Oh, but you own it. I own it. Okay. So this- I, I'm a fan of Joe Straczynski's and I, I, you know, I've read a lot of his comic work. And of course, all the way back to when he was uh, an executive producer of the 80s Twilight Zone, he took over from Phil DeGuerre to round out their syndication package. And I, I've been a fan of his. I've met him a couple times. So, yeah, I bought that book. All right. And uh, we got time for one more while Rob's still here. So let's do this one. Scotty B writes. One of two. Hey, John, I haven't seen Dear Evan Hansen yet, but I can't wait to watch it. I love movies that have a genuine message to them. I don't understand why everyone has such an issue with the lead's age. Um, um, and apparently there is no part two. Okay, so we'll just answer that part one. Okay, so Rob, somebody asked me this uh, kind of a similar question on After Dark last night. Right. You know, it's like, uh, why are people making such a big deal of the age? And, and the reason is this. This is how I would would put it, right? Because other people have written and said, well, John, you know, this guy played this and he was older too. The question is not how old is the actor in the role. The question is how old does the actor look? Because you can get a Tom Hardy, sorry, not Tom Hardy, Tom Holland, who is only a couple of years younger than uh, Ben Platt, who's in Dear Evan Hansen, right? But when he's in Spider-Man, you don't have to remind yourself, okay, he's just an actor playing a high school student. Because when you look at him, you're able to instantly suspend disbelief because you know Tom Holland isn't 15 years old or 16 years old. You know that. But when you look at him, it doesn't, every time he comes on screen, it doesn't pull you out of the movie for a minute and have to make you readjust your head again. Ben Platt is 28 years old, but he looks every bit of 35. And every time, all I can say is for me watching the trailers, every time his face comes on screen, it's like it pulls me out of the trailer and I have to reset my head again. So, okay, yes, he's an older man, but he's only playing a high school student. If every single time, and this is what I've been hearing from a bunch of people who saw the movie, that he comes on screen, that suspension of disbelief gets paused and jars an audience member out of the movie for a second because he looks like an old man among high school students. And then you got to constantly remind yourself and it doesn't just bleed into it. Like Tobey Maguire 
wasn't that much, wasn't much younger than Ben Platt is when he first played Spider-Man. But you were able to suspend disbelief initially, and then he didn't look so old that every time he came up on screen, it pulled you out of the movie for a second. And when that is happening, then you have a problem as a filmmaker. And they really, as 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 great as I'm sure Ben Platt is in this, and this dude has the voice of a freaking angel. He is an amazing singer. But if every time he comes on screen, it's going to pull certain audience members out of the movie because he just looks so out of place, you should have cast somebody else. Anyway, that's my take on it, Rob. What's your perspective on it? Well, I mean, he, didn't he originate the the role on Broadway? Yes, he did. That's why so, he got the role, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that sometimes that doesn't always necessarily work. I mean, it seemed like the natural. I think the days of us watching Grease with yeah. <laughs> Grease with everybody that looks 30, yep. but they're in high school. I mean, those days are kind of over now, and I understand like why he got the role. It's just you know, from a theatrical standpoint, it works, but even on, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I've only seen the trailer and I actually liked the trailer when I saw the trailer, but so did I. me too. I, I, I think we talked about being excited about the movie, but I, you know, looking at it now, I can't get past just how much older he does look. And it's, it, it gets in the way, especially when people these days look so young and fresh. Yeah. All right, Rob, I know we kept you a bit over time. Thanks again for being here today, my friend. Have a great day. And in the meantime, where can people follow you online? And more importantly, what cities can they go and see your film, Tango Shalom, in theaters today if they wanted to? Uh, well, that is that is a good question. Um, it's still playing in Los Angeles and New York uh, in outlying areas. But I can tell you, uh, in, <laughs> starting uh, Thursday, it'll be in Florida, Ohio, New York, California, Arizona still. It'll be in Sedona, Scottsdale. It's still in Palm Desert. It'll be in Columbus, Ohio. It'll be in Delray Beach and Lake Worth in Florida, Boca Raton. It's all over the place. We're, you know, we're a small little indie movie rolling out. So that's exciting. Uh, and it'll be on VOD everywhere on October 29th. All right, dude. But you can find me on Instagram at BurnettRM. Um, pardon me, Robert Meyer Burnett, Twitter on, uh, at Burnett RM and on YouTube at the Burnett work. Dude, congratulations again on all the success that Tango Shalom is having. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one, man. See you tomorrow, man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, get out and support Tango Shalom. If you guys have a chance to do so. Okay. Let's keep on rolling here. We got a few minutes left here before I got to start getting ready to head in for that uh, Venom screening. Uh, Tony Rodriguez writes, one of two. You're right, John. The Last of Us is just an image. Now I know, because we talked yesterday about the, the, the first image that came out for the new Last of Us show. Now I know you bailed on The Walking Dead, but I hung in. I'm just waiting for the end already. Hell, I don't even think there will be a Rick Grimes movie. The zombie slash uh, epidemic thing has passed. The ship has sailed. That said, The Last of Us missed the boat. I see it canceled after one and a half seasons. As much as I want this, uh, as much as I want this show, not feeling the Joel casting. I'm sure after the first trailer, people will voice it. Everyone looks great from the back. LOL. Keep filthy, my bro. I disagree with you, Tony Rodriguez. You have an absolutely spectacular actor in the role of Joel. An absolutely spectacular actor. 
That is like this nonsense. I, and I keep saying this to my fellow brothers and sisters in film fandom. Get over this nonsense about, oh, the actor has to look just like the person who was in the comic book or in the video game. Nonsense. Like everybody cried and whined about Hugh Jackman getting the role when he became Wolverine and look how it turned out. What you want to be concerned about is they get a great actor. And don't give me this. I say this to you, Tony, as my film-loving brother. My brother, don't give me this. I'm not feeling the... You haven't seen one frame of it yet. The game creator saying is, oh my God, this, like, Druckmann, the, the creator of the game, the creator of The Last of Us saying, he is Joel. Like, when you see it, so... I, I, I'd say, get over it, man. Get over it. They went out and they got themselves, you guys should be celebrating. They went out and they got themselves a world-class actor, a world-class actor. And at the end of the day, that is all that's going to matter. And again, look, this will be a great show or it'll be a terrible show, but I'll tell you what, if it doesn't turn out to be a good show, it ain't going to be because they went out and got great performers to play the roles. That ain't going to be part of the problem. Um, and as far as the uh, the time of the zombie pandemic thing, dude, people like me have been saying, oh, zombie, the, the time for zombie stuff is gone. We've been saying that for like 15 years. And yet whenever you put out something good, if it's even if it's zombie related, it, it, it gets an audience and people will watch it. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Do you make something that's good? And if it's good. Listen, winning cures everything. You put out something great. If this show is great, it ain't just going to last one season. It ain't going to last whatever. It's it's going to work. If they write it terribly and it's badly done, then it's not going to work. But it's not going to be because it has it's about an epidemic or it's about a, a, a zombies. It, that's not why it's not going to work. If it, if they make a great show and make it compelling like they did with Watchmen, then this is going to be another hit. And listen, Nobody knows how to do this better than HBO. They are the gold standard. Nobody does it better than HBO does. Period. End of sentence. Done. Nobody does it better than them. They have been doing it the longest and they've been doing it the best. And so I have absolute faith in this. Of course it could be crappy. Of course it might suck. Obviously. But until I see it sucking, it's got my absolute belief. It's got my absolute trust. It has my absolute benefit of the doubt. It's HBO, the people who just do it better. You got the creator of the game on as an executive producer. You've you've casted incredibly talented actors. You've got incredibly talented uh, storytellers behind the camera. I don't see there being any legit reason to be pessimistic. Again, we all feel optimistic or pessimistic for whatever reasons. I mean, we all do. That's fine. And maybe this thing will be shit, but I have the highest belief in this thing right now. I really do. So we'll see, man. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, I get to go see uh, I get to go see uh, Venom in a few hours. So I'm very happy. Happy Monday. So, of course, Ben sent this in last night. Uh, happy Monday. Hope you had a good weekend. I think 45 days is the perfect amount because people who can't see the movie in theaters look forward to VOD and Disney Plus release while everyone else is talking about. Uh, I think 45 days is a solid compromise of day and date and the old 90-day window. Uh, the people who get to go to the theater get that experience and the people who can't uh, won't have to wait that long. Again, I, I agree with Robert Meyer Burnett on this, um, who's not here anymore. I agree with Robert Meyer Burnett on this, that I just said Robert Meyer Burnett and his thing came up, um, that 
it would have been 60 days would have been a better number. 60 days would have been a better number. Um, but you know, 45 days, I think it's about as much as you can shrink it. I don't think it could have been shrunk anymore. So I think they push it to the limit. Personally, I think 60 days would have been a better balance for me, but that's just me, whatever. Um, thanks for that, Ben. Appreciate that, man. Next up, Ben writes, uh, these are just my thoughts. Sorry for the rant. I just wanted to get this out. Thank you for everything you do and bring on the filthy. That didn't look anything like a rant, to be honest with you, Ben. So no worries about that. Thanks, man. All right, next up, Batman equals vengeance writes, hey, John, plus the awesomeness of the additional chair and Rob just left, unfortunately. Uh, During Will Smith's undercover GQ video, he mentioned that he always wanted to have two different directors cast and crew make two separate movies based on the same script. Me likey thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have always liked that idea. I think people have always liked that idea, but it's completely not practical. You can't actually do it. You can't actually do it. That's financial suicide doing that. You're just, no movie could possibly be profitable. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, some movies maybe could be profitable, but very, very, very few movies could actually be profitable doing that. So yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. Hey, we got this great script, but should we go with Quentin Tarantino directing it? Or should we go with, you know, I I don't know, um, Denis Villeneuve directing it? Well, here's an idea. Let's just give them both all the money and say, go get, uh, producers and, and, and casts and crew. And each of you go off and make your own movie based on this script. Go. And then we'll pick whichever one turns out best and we'll put that one out in theaters. I mean, yeah, of course, that sounds ideal. Sure. But you can't do it because no movie in the history of movies would ever be profitable. So, yeah, the, so there's that. All right. Uh, next up, Mr. Free writes, hey, John, I have a free guy. I have free guy pre-ordered on digital. Great. I love that movie. But I'm bummed since it doesn't have any extras but a trailer. Do you think there will be some cool extras on the DVD slash Blu-ray versions? And are you a big fan of extra features? I'm a huge fan of extra features. Huge. There are, back when I used to buy physical media, I would often, the only reason I would buy it was because of the bonus features. I love bonus features. I love every, because I'm fascinated by the movie making process. So I'm totally fascinated by every behind the scenes look here, particularly director's commentaries. I love director's commentaries, but also, you know, the making of stuff and, and, you know, the, the scenes that were cut out, you know, I'm fascinated to always look at the scenes that were removed and cut out of thing. I love that stuff. Now we have seen, um, a number of movies come out on digital that do have bonus features and everything like Endgame was a great example of that. But they don't do it as much, and I really want them to do more of it. I really want them to do more of it. And I know a lot of them, the studios look at it as an unnecessary expense. But I'll tell you what, I would buy a lot more of my movies digitally online if they had more um, more of the special features. So, yeah, that's uh, that's just me. So I agree with you, Mr. Free. Next up. Bad Ape writes, finally watched the recent Apes movies, love them, and super excited for the Matt Reeves Batman. The CG was absolutely fantastic. What are your thoughts on them? And do you think, what do you think of Reeves as a director? Matt Reeves is a great director. That's why, even though it wasn't going to be Ben Affleck writing, directing, and starring in the new Batman movie, which is what I really wanted, 
I was still okay with it because Matt Reeves is a great director. Now, as far as the Apes movies go, I really like the first one. I absolutely love the second one. I'm not going to lie to you. I was pretty disappointed with the third. And by the way, the trailers for the third Planet of the Apes movies was one of the most deceptively lying groups of trailers I'd ever seen. Like, because the trailers for the third Planet of the Apes movies, first of all, there's a lot of stuff in the trailers that are not in the movies at all. And a lot of stuff in the posters that are not in the movies at all. And the whole marketing campaign for the third Apes movies was all, oh, this is the buildup to the big war between the apes and mankind. And it, it's nothing about that. It wasn't about that at all. Like in the least, it was a really deceitful, lying marketing campaign. And I even remember walking out of the first, I, I went to the Fox lot and they invited me to the lot. I went down with about 30 other people in the press and they showed us the first screening of uh, the last planet of the apes. And I remember we walked out and a bunch of us talked about, it's like that, that was not at all the movie that they're saying we're getting in the marketing, like at all. As I mean, in many ways it's good, but I, frankly, I was kind of let down by the third, but that's okay. Everybody's got one bad day at the office. I think Matt Reeves is a great director and I'm very, very much looking forward uh, to his Batman film. I really am. All right. Next up, we got Anthony Hong who writes, I was expecting 1 billion for Shang-Chi. Well, that's completely crazy in a pandemic era. Absolutely. It's unreachable in a pandemic era. Um, I was expecting 1 billion for Shang-Chi, especially with the Chinese market. But given how flaky the Chinese government is towards showing Hollywood movies, do you believe future Hollywood blockbusters will have to lower their budgets? No, I think you just got to understand. Look, everybody's got to understand this. Uh, everybody seems to walk around with this, uh, with this belief that all movies play in China, except for the ones that get banned. That's not how it works. China always every year has a set limit number of films, Western films that they allow play in China. There's always been a finite number. Most movies that get made do not get allowed to play in China. Okay. So it's not it's like so everybody thinks like all movies play in China, except for the ones that get banned. That's not true. That's not true. So Hollywood has traditionally made their movies and budgeted them without the assumption that every movie that they get made is going to play in China. So no, but I think they have to also then be more realistic. I don't think you're about to see a big drop in budgets, although I think Hollywood movies could stand with a bit of a drop in their budgets. But um, yeah, I don't honestly think it's going to change things too awful much. It'll change the final bottom line number but I don't think you're going to see that make Hollywood change the way they make their movies. So, but I don't know we'll have to see what the long-term effects are. We'll have to see what the long-term effects are. All right. Next up, Tony Rodriguez writes movie trivia. So uh, I know you love a quiet place. Yes, I do. But did you know that the script was originally pitched to be a part of the Cloverfield universe, but Paramount thought it could stand on its own. Uh, think that would have been interesting. I don't know that that's true, Tony. I mean, that's, that's a very interesting piece of trivia. If that's true. Um, but I don't think that's true. I don't now again, I could be wrong, but I don't think John Krasinski ever pitched it as a part of the Cloverfield universe, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't just hear that. And if so, that is a very interesting piece of trivia. I'll have to look into that. All right. Thanks for that, Tony. All right. Next up. Sergeant Ward, we only got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Sergeant Ward writes, Hey, John, when I heard that Brian Robbins, the director of Norbit of all things is now the head of Paramount, uh, 
Paramount. Two is scaling back theatrical productions to focus on streaming. I thought one thing, Tom Cruise is not going to stick with them after Mission Impossible 8. Yeah, no way. Uh, Tom Cruise will will not be doing movies with Paramount anymore. That is uh, by easy. Easiest call. Tom Cruise will not work with Paramount anymore. There is absolutely no doubt about that, Sergeant Ward. You are 100% right about that. All right. Last question we're going to do here today comes us from Nicholas Light TV, who writes, one of two. John, I've never tipped before for any channel, but I needed to for this. All right. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Nicholas. I appreciate that. Because of your constant mentioning of the show, I decided to watch Warrior. Good choice. I have just finished season two, and just let me say, tears. These actors make you feel the anger, pain, love, hatred, everything. I wanted to thank you for mentioning this show so much. It's become one of my favorites of all time. I suggest anybody watching your stream right now to give the show a chance. And listen, Nicholas, 100, 100, 100% agree with you. This show is so freaking good. And I started watching because I heard from a lot of you guys that was good. And then my buddy Dennis Zen started talking about it a lot. So I finally sat down and gave it a chance. And I watched both. I binged both seasons so fast. I couldn't stop watching it. It is such a magnificently done show. Not just with great action. And yes, it has fabulous action. Maybe the best action I've ever seen in a television series. But it's got great characters and drama and narrative. It's got all of it wrapped in there. And it is a beautiful show. Beautiful show. And I cannot wait for season three. I cannot wait for season three. It's so good. Uh, Guys, take Nicholas's advice. If you haven't seen Warrior yet, get on it and watch Warrior. All right, guys, listen, there are still more to come from Sam Weiser, uh, LaBelle, Cam K, and others. Do not worry, guys. We will pick right up where we left off on tomorrow's John Campion show. Don't forget, guys, I'm going to go see Venom 2 tonight. So keep your eyes open on the channel for my right out of the theater reaction. Uh, that'll be going up uh, a little bit later tonight. So keep your guys' eyes open for that. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions and those of you who sent in the Super Chat badges as well. Thank all of you guys so much for supporting our show, and thank you for giving us great fun things to talk about. All right, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.